0: Welcome to Radio Who What Why, I'm Jeff Sheckman. There is an old expression that's long been part of the training of any medical student. It says that if you hear hooves in the distance, look for horses, not zebras. The idea is simple. Look first in the most obvious places. Oftentimes the solution is in plain sight and doesn't require some deep expensive digging. The same might very well be said of Donald Trump in Russia. Sure we all hear about the complex web, but really There's a kind of elemental simplicity to the story. Trump came to the attention of the Soviets as far back as 1987. The Russians seeking contacts or assets in the U.S. dangled in front of Trump the prospect of doing business in Russia. They paraded before him oligarchs, who he admired and was frankly jealous of. They kept an eye on him for years. He even married two wives from the former Soviet bloc who grew up behind the Iron Curtain. He went back to Russia in 2013... By which time, planet Trump was surrounded by people like Michael Cohn and Felix Sater and the Aguilarovs and Paul Manafort and dozens of other Russians that bought property in Trump Tower or his other real estate holdings. When he fell in financial hard times, Russia, and particularly Deutsche Bank in Moscow, was there to help with laundered money. In 2016, when he finally ran for president, something he'd been talking about for decades, we know the Russians intervened to help, Paul Manafort with deep Russian and Ukrainian ties, would for a time manage the campaign. When he won, again, so many that were circling the mothership Trump would lie about their contacts with Russia. His cabinet would be filled with people like Wilbur Ross and Rex Tillerson and the sister of Eric Prince, all with deep and abiding ties to Russia. And all the while, Trump would continue to praise Vladimir Putin. It may very well be that the story of Trump and Russia is not a witch hunt but maybe the most important political story of our generation or of our time. And we're going to talk about it today with my guest, Luke Harding. He's a journalist, writer, and award-winning foreign correspondent for The Guardian. He was The Guardian's Moscow bureau chief between 2007 and 2011, and the Kremlin expelled him from the country because he was asking some pretty tough questions. It is my pleasure to welcome Luke Harding to Radio Who, What, Why to talk about collusion secret meetings, dirty money, and how Russia helped Donald Trump win. Luke Harding, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Jeff, it's, it's great to be with you.
0: When one looks at the totality of this story, going back at the very least to 1987, there's a kind of Manchurian candidate feel about it all, the degree to which the Russians have had their eye on Trump for so long. Talk about that first.
1: Well, I mean, I, I think that's, that's, that's right. I mean, this hasn't been continuous. I think it's been in phases. But what we can say is, is that Moscow has been interested in, in Trump for at least 30 years and, and, and probably longer. I mean, we, we have a Ivana, a, a woman from, from communist Czechoslovakia, whom he married in 1977. Uh, and we know from, from archives, uh, held, now held in Prague, that Czechoslovak spies kept kept an eye on the trumps in manhattan um talks from time to time to Ivana's dad uh lives still living behind behind the iron curtain and they would have sent this in the trade it's called the kind of intelligence product would have been sent back to the kgb in moscow so so the 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 will have been a file in moscow on donald trump for a very long time initially i think probably quite small but it got bigger and it got very much bigger after 1987 when as you said, Donald Trump traveled to to the Soviet Union for the first time with Ivana um, at the invitation of and on the dime of or the ruble of the Soviet government. Um, and one of the things I discovered when I was researching my book was that the then Soviet ambassador, someone called Yuri Dabinin, went, went out of his way to kind of woo Donald Trump, uh, literally got off a plane from Moscow, drove to Trump Tower, took the elevator up, knocked on the door and said, Donald Trump, you have built the most beautiful skyscraper in America, if not the world. It's, it's my great pleasure to meet you. Flattered him. Um, and four or five months later, he, he, he's brought over to Moscow. Now, you have to ask yourself... Why would the Soviets do that? I mean, did they love his, his real estate design? No, of course not. They saw him as a target, as a kind of upwardly mobile American in business and possibly politics as well, who might prove useful to them in the months and years ahead.
0: And one of the things you point out is that all of the things that they were looking for in people that might be useful to them in potential assets, that he checked off all the boxes.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, we, we know quite a lot about this period, because after the Soviet Union collapsed, the, the, a lot of the KGB um, records leaked. Separately, there was a defector uh, who, who was secretly working as a double agent for British intelligence called Oleg Gordievsky. He's still alive, actually, li- living in the south of England. Um, and he handed over top secret KGB memos to, to, to the British. Uh, and they revealed that during this period, you know, Reagan is in the White House. There's some detente with, with Mikhail Gorbachev, who's the Soviet premier. But nonetheless, there's deep suspicion from the KGB towards America, as there was during m- all of the Cold War, practically. But they were looking for Americans and the, the, the boss of the KGB, someone called Vladimir Khrushchev, was sending out messages saying, find me more Americans. We need more American sort of top-level contacts. Um, and there was a personality questionnaire which, which did the rounds uh, at the kind of person they were looking for. They wanted people who were ambitious, vain, uh, perhaps corruptible, narcissistic, unfaithful. Um, and, and also people who were lousy analysts um, uh, and were, were perhaps suggestible. And, and you, you look at this questionnaire and you think, well, that's Donald Trump. He, he takes every single box. And, and the strange postscript to his trip to the Soviet Union was that about six or seven weeks after he came back, he took out three full-page adverts in a series of American newspapers, including the New York Times, criticizing Ronald Reagan's foreign policy, now, why would a real estate guy do that? And, and separately, he let it be known that he was interested in going into politics, and moreover, he, he was interested in becoming president. Of course, it didn't happen for a long time, but, but I think whatever happened in Moscow, he came back with a new sense of strategic direction.
0: What do we think might have happened in Moscow? Well, I mean, I
1: think he would have been flattered. Uh, I think he, he would have been bugged. We know he was staying at the National Hotel uh, just around the corner from Red Square and, and the famous tomb where, where Lenin is embalmed um, and the Kremlin. Um, and, and I think so, so, so his conversations would have been recorded. The, the, all of that material would have gone into the KGB is by this point much larger file on Donald Trump, and I think they would have kind of evaluated him to see whether he he he, he might be useful, whether he he could uh, do things which were politically um, helpful to the Soviet Union. Now they have certain geostrategic goals at that point they were very keen to drive a, a wedge between the united states and its european allies for example to, to sow divisions among nato countries actually the kind of things that, that have now come to pass under donald trump as president um, but i think what happened after that of course is that gorbachev lost control of the situation the soviet union collapsed and and if you like if you can call it project trump kind of was, was mothballed and was then sort of subsequently revived um, at, at different moments. Trump went back to Moscow in the 1990s, but I think big time in 2013 and over the last five years.
0: And one of the things that, that certainly was critical during this period, from certainly in the mid-'90s and, and even more so as we got closer to 2013, is the financial ups and downs of Trump and always needing money from somewhere.
1: Well, I mean, that, that's right. And, and again, th- this, is, this is factual, but w- w- we know that Russian mobsters bought condominiums in Trump Tower soon after it was completed in the 1980s. Uh, a couple of them went to jail, were, were convicted of federal crimes such as money laundering and racketeering. There was a famous. Uh, Soviet underworld boss called, well, he's nicknamed Yaponchik. He was called, actually called Vyacheslav Ivankov, who, who, who moved from Moscow to, to Brighton Beach in 1992 and spent three years on the run from the FBI. They eventually caught up with him, and they discovered during this entire period he'd been living in Trump Tower secretly. And, and so there are, there, are, there are long-standing questions uh, uh, about links between Russian money and and, and Trump real estate and, and branded properties. Uh, I mean, we know, if, if you just take Trump out of the equation for a second, we, we know that real estate is kind of the, the best way of money laundering. But we also know that, that it, it, in the sort of post-Soviet period in the 1990s, the, the, there was no law in, in, in Russia. It was impossible to make a legitimate fortune. Um, that There was massive corruption that, that almost kind of the, the, the mafia and the, the, the government kind of fused to become a sort of single ruling group. And, and this has continued under, under Putin. I mean, he has a most kleptocratic regime. And then there are kind of further questions about what deals Donald Trump may or may not have made with Russian financial interests after the financial crash of 2008, when he was so broke, he could no longer repay a big loan uh, of, of $45 million to Deutsche Bank.
0: As one looks at the way this evolved in in its time, since 1987 in particular, that it didn't necessarily involve a grand plan or a grand project Trump, but that the degree to which they kept their eye on him, he also kept his eye on the Russians. And there was just uh, needs that they both had during this period.
1: Yes. I mean, I think it's very important, uh, Jeff, to be kind of clear that, that Vladimir Putin is, is not the master of the universe. He's not sitting in a kind of bat cave in Russia, flicking uh, glowing red switches, making things happen here and there. And he, he's, he's what you have to understand is that he's a classic opportunist. He's a cynic, uh, I would say, a nihilist as well, who just believes in, in his almost divine mission to to. Rule Russia to to restore Russia to kind of greatness, and, and meanwhile, I would say to actually kind of plunder Russia so that he and the people around him are all multi billionaires. They're some of the most sort of richest people on the planet, and, and obviously he he wants to find partners in various countries who who can perform useful tasks and who kind of see the world that he does. And I think with Donald Trump, he he, he found the ultimate transactional guy. Um, uh, and if you believe the dossier of Christopher Steele, a former British intelligence officer, that the Russians have been, have been quite energetically cultivating Trump for at least five years. Uh, they've been p- providing him with, with intelligence, which might help his kind of political ambitions. And he has been shipping them uh, uh, details of what Russian oligarchs have been getting up to in the United States. And so this this on-off relationship kind of, Block was blossoming? And obviously, when Trump entered the political fray as a presidential candidate, it went to an entirely new level.
0: Talk a little bit about what happened in 2013, Trump's trip to Russia at that point, and the degree to which that in many ways is the beginning of so much that's in the Christopher Steele dossier.
1: Well, I mean, I think by that point, there was clearly a very definite cultivation operation of Donald Trump. He was hosted by Aras Agalarov, uh, who's who's a Russian property developer. I mean, I've met him. He's rather charming. He speaks impeccable English. He he, he showed me around a housing estate he'd, he'd built for people with $50 million plus in greater Moscow. Um, but the thing about being a Russian oligarch is that it's not like being an American entrepreneur. Uh, basically, if the Kremlin calls you, then you have to take the call and you have to more or less do what you are instructed to do. And, and Aguilar hosted Trump. He was there for the Miss Universe beauty pageant. And what we know for sure is, is that the FSB, the successor agencies of the KGB, would have, would have taped and recorded Trump in his hotel suite, and indeed uh, everywhere else as well. What we don't know is what's on the the tape. I mean, Christopher Steele says that that Trump watched this exotic show late at night featuring prostitutes. We we, we can't verify that. But but what's certain is that they will have have audio material, they will have video material from that trip. Uh, Trump will know what happened. And of course, most importantly, Vladimir Putin will know what happened.
0: Is this, not not to try and silo it, but is this a story about business corruption that has gone too far, or is this a political and an espionage story?
1: I think it's both. I mean, you, you can't separate uh, kind of... M- money and kind of espionage in, in, in Russia it's, it's, it's the same matrix I mean I wrote a previous book called, called Mafia State, in other words the, the way to think about the Russian government uh, I mean it is a government it's got its own kind of bureaucracy which is deeply corrupt, that's something that glues the system together, um, but, but it's almost like a kind of crime syndicate so they're interested in making money but they're also interested in advancing Russia's geopolitical goals and if they can do both at the same time uh, e- e- even better. So, uh, I mean, I think Trump was the the perfect vehicle for this. <clears throat> but I also think we need to bear in mind that Putin and his entourage didn't think that Donald Trump was going to win. They thought that Trump would lose, but w- was kind of a, the candidate of chaos, someone who would chop the legs off Hillary Clinton, who they thought was going to become president, undermine her from the very beginning, and weaken her both domestically and internationally, all of which was to Russia's advantage. And of course, Donald Trump won. And, and for, for Putin, in some respects, this was what you might call one of the great espionage operations of all time, because there's no doubt that Russia tried to push him over the line. I mean, how much they pushed, we will probably never know, but but they certainly helps. But the problem is that this Russia story has become such a kind of consuming drama in America. It's become the number one political theme that this has made it very hard for Trump to, to deliver the kind of things that Putin wants, uh, specifically for America to lift sanctions against Russia. And, and Trump, I think, would like to do this, but he simply cannot.
0: In that sense, do we classify an aspect of this story as treason more than collusion? <sighs> Well, I,
1: I think we're not there yet. I mean, I mean one thing I tried to, 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 to be very, very careful about in, in writing this book is, is to sort of say what, what we know and also admit where we don't know. And I think some things in the story will be unknowable. I think in terms of collusion, I think we're, 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 we're really across the, the, the line. We, we know now of these meetings between Donald Trump Jr. and Natalia Veselnitskaya, this Moscow lawyer, who, who had a meeting in Trump Tower, and. Trump Jr. took this on the understanding that, that he was going to receive material from the Russian government, which would damage Hillary Clinton. I mean, that's certainly collusion. Um, I, I think in terms of treason, I mean, one big question for, for Robert Mueller, the special counsel is, is it true, as the Steele dossier alleges, that the Trump team knew about the email hacking of Democratic Party emails and, and secretly co-paid for it. Now, I think if that can be proven, uh, I mean, the allegation is made against Michael Cohen that he knew all about this, Trump's personal lawyer. Cohen denies this. But I think if Mueller gets any traction on that question, then, then we'll be heading in the direction that you suggest.
0: Of course, one of the remarkable things about this story is how many people in the Trump orbit have some connection to and some contact with Russia in some form. Well,
1: as you, as you said in your int- introduction, I mean, a lot of this is kind of in plain sight. I mean, it, it is baffling. I mean, that I, I sort of write that it's a bit like kind of stars in, in the night sky on a, on a, on a kind of clear e- evening because you, you just go down the list. I mean, w- why is Rex Tillerson Secretary of State? I mean, he, he, he knows about oil. Uh, he, 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 he may be a, a decent guy, but he doesn't really know anything about international diplomacy. But what he does have is he has a an order of friendship pinned to his chest three years ago by Vladimir Putin uh, with a sky blue ribbon. Now, now, this means that Tillerson is a known quantity in, in, in Russia, that, that he is an interlocutor with whom they're comfortable. And then you, you go down, you've got Michael Flynn, recently admitted lying to the FBI, um, who I think was, was on the receiving end of another cultivation operation with, with trips to Moscow in 2013 and 2015 when he sat next to Putin. Uh, also already checked out. Then you have, you have uh, Wilbur Ross, the commerce secretary who's been doing business with, with Putin's son-in-law. We, we, we recently revealed that story in the Paradise Papers. Um, and then you have a whole series of, of very curious foreign policy aides, Carter Page, a kind of wannabe Russian oil guy, um, George Papadopoulos, a, a young Greek American running around my town, London, with, with Russian connected professors. And, and so the list goes on. It, it's an extraordinary constellation. There's a Russian trace more or less everywhere. And, and I write, it's almost as if Putin picked the government. I mean, he didn't, Trump did, but, but uh, how does one explain this?
0: What is your sense of the frustration that must exist for Putin and Russia at this point, given the the seeming success on the one hand of this mission and the abject failure to bring it home because of this story becoming what it's become? Well, I, I mean, I think, I, I mean, I sort of say
1: my. Epilogue: That that P- Putin is a kind of brilliant uh, tactician and a kind of weak strategist. So, in a way, he decided he was going to bet everything on Trump, uh, and Trump won. And and certainly to begin with, for the first couple of months, the, the Russian press was ecstatic. I mean, I lived in Moscow, and during the four years I was there, until I was finally kicked out in 2011, I don't think I ever read a single positive article about, about Obama. It was, it was relentless, kind of skewed negativity. And, and, and yet, the, the, the state media fated Trump, said that, that unlike warmonger Hillary Clinton, he was a partner for Russia, he was a good guy, he was a visionary, etc. And, and that coverage has, has subsequently cooled, I think, because Trump hasn't delivered on sanctions. Uh, and and that, that is a continuous disappointment. And for, for, for the billionaires around Putin, who are consistently bending his ear and complaining they can no longer travel to New York, they can't go to Switzerland, they can't go sailing in their yacht around the Mediterranean, and so on. But on the other hand, what what Putin has got is he's got, I think, uh, United States of America more divided than than at any moment in its recent history, with one group of Americans shouting at another group of Americans with these divisions, racial, cultural... uh, Uh, political just just kind of overshadowing everything and and this chaos uh, with America kind of retreating from the international arena to the point where you still think you know what is U.S. foreign policy serves Putin very well and I I think he, he he is in a pretty good place at the moment and he knows
0: it will we ever know the full extent of the collusion the full extent of this story
1: Uh, I think yes and no. I I think Mueller will, will, uh, unless he's fired, of course, by by Donald Trump, which may yet happen, I think that Mueller will will kind of dive down very deep in this. And I think he will get much, probably not all, but much of the American half. But what you have to bear in mind is that, that Putin has a highly developed network of intelligence officers. He's got more intelligence officers in the United States than any other country on the planet. Uh, and and this, this would have been a kind of multi level conspiracy. Um, and those who know about it in Moscow and elsewhere, uh, uh, it, it's a state secret and if they talk about it, the punishment is very clear. <laughs> it's, you get murdered it's, it's sort of as simple as that if, if if it's a suspicion if you're a russian spy that you you talk to the americans then the penalty is death so so on, on the russian side we're going to have to wait to, to get the full story until the end of the putin regime a, a bit like we had to wait for the end of the soviet union to discover the full crimes of the stalin era so you know, Putin just announced last week he's standing for re-election. He's going to do another six years, taking him up to 2024. Uh, Jeff, you and I could, could be in, a, in, a, in an old folks home before, <laughs> before we, 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 we get that. But, but at some point, if not us, we will learn that. We will learn, it will come out, I'm sure, of that, but we have to be patient.
0: And it also begs the question whether or not there are other Trumps, whether there are other Russian assets like Trump operating in the U.S.
1: For sure, there are. I, I, I mean, there's no doubt about, about that. And, and also, um, l- let's be clear that the Russians didn't talent spot Trump 30 years ago and say this man is, is going to be president of the United States in, in, in sort of 2016. They talent spotted him and thought this man has the right psychological profile uh, and maybe he can, he can be of use to us going forward. Um, and what they do is firstly, they play a very long game. Uh, and, and secondly, th- they identify a whole, a whole bunch of people. Um, so th- th- there will be other people at, at, at kind of you know, lower levels or that we don't know about um, who, who are cooperating for their own reasons. Generally, it, it's, it's kind of greed rather than ideology. Um, and, and who have yet to be exposed. I, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and, and we will learn more, but not yet.
0: Luke Harding. His book is Collusion, Secret Meetings, Dirty Money, and How Russia Helped Donald Trump Win. Luke, I thank you so much for spending time with us here on Radio Who, What, Why. Jeff,
1: my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And thank you for listening and for joining us here on Radio Who, What, Why. I hope you join us next week for another Radio Who, What, Why podcast. I'm Jeff Sheckman. If you like this podcast, please feel free to share and help others find it by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. You can also support this podcast and all the work we do by going to whowhatwhy.org forward slash donate.